0: Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you. Like Nikki said, we're glad you're here. Welcome to those that are worshiping online. We're glad you're here with us as well. Uh, I've got a couple things I want to add to what uh, Nikki just said about some of the stuff going on. Uh, One is about an event she didn't mention. Uh, It's one of our really most useful events of the year, and it might be useful to you this year. Our Grief Share Ministry um, sponsors an event every November, um, which is just about grieving through the holidays. How do you handle the holidays when you're grieving? And I know that's a lot of us this year, and uh, if that's you and you can use some allies as you're grieving this holiday season... Um, it's November 15th, it's a, that's not tomorrow, but the Monday after that, it's at 6 p.m., it's a teacher funeral home, you can call the church office to get more information, go look on the website, uh, we'd love to have you participate that, if that's something that you need this holiday season. Also, you heard all the details from Nikki about the 150th, but a couple of things I need to point out. I just need to address this before any rumors get started. I know a lot of you saw the news on WJHL, um, just, they just reported it last weekend, uh, John City Commission approves, I just want you to know that has nothing to do with our event, okay? I know the timing on that is very suspicious, I get that, I get that. Um, But on the other hand, for those of you that were really excited about this, I've heard from lots of people. Well, in that case, I am coming. So I just... My disappoint, The disappointing news is there will be no beverage sales, okay? Despite the rule change, no beverage sales at our combined worship service next Sunday. Uh, there will be plenty of coffee and snacks and that kind of thing, but no beverage sales. But don't forget, next Sunday, one service, 10.30 at Freedom Hall. Don't show up here. If so, you'll be taking care of babies because the only thing happening here is like nursery and preschool. But if you want to go to the worship service, 10.30 at over in Freedom Hall. It's not too late to invite somebody. I would say especially if you know people who maybe they used to be connected to this church and now they're somewhere else, bring them back just for one day, just to to celebrate even their legacy uh, as part of the church. Or maybe you know somebody who ought to be part of this church. Bring them back. So bring them with you so we can tell the story. Let's have a big party uh, next week. Also, you heard Nikki say that today... Is the very last day to register for the banquet. You can do it online, especially for those of you worshiping online. That's the easiest way for you to do it. If you're here in the building, though, we got a table right out the back doors in the parlor. After the service, just go right out there. Even if you don't have any money, just tell us you're going to be there so we make sure we have enough food. We'll figure out the money later. Um, we want you all at the banquet. And today is the last day to register because we have to give the food people the number tomorrow morning at 830. So... Get on it, register for the banquet. All right, let's wrap up the fundamentals. Uh, for six weeks, we've been just trying to talk about the very simplest basics of what it is Christians believe about the world. And six weeks isn't enough. There's so much important stuff that we're gonna leave out. I had somebody come up to me last week. Are you gonna talk about this? Are you gonna talk about this? Are you going talk about this? It's like, I only got one week left. No, this isn't everything, but it's just some of the big pillars that what we believe about the world, about history, about God, about us. We've got, got two sentences we've been using to kind of summarize the whole series. Sentence number one, creation is beautiful and broken, but God's kingdom comes to earth in the person and work of Jesus. That was the first three sermons. And we said that that those three sermons present the great cosmic problem. If if creation is beautiful and broken, and God is going to reestablish God's kingdom in a broken world, we said the big question is, what's God going to do with the rebels? What's God going to do with all that is broken, And, and namely with us? You know, with, with our brokenness, how can we fit into a perfectly restored kingdom if we're so messed up? And, and then we've been working on that. Uh, the next sentence is the answer to that problem. Jesus saves us from sin and death, empowers us to new life, and will return in eternal victory. Saves us from sin and death. Jesus just rescues the rebels. That's just what he does empowers us to new life. He then teaches us, leads us, and empowers us to live the life we were made for from the very beginning. And then one day in history, Jesus will return. Christianity is funny in the world's religions. So many of the world's religions are tied up in philosophy or theology. Christianity is so tied up in history our whole story is that a dude named Jesus actually existed in an actual history in a real place. And he was really killed and he really rose from the dead. And our whole hope is that he will really return. The, the fancy word for the, 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 the conversation we're having today is the word eschatology. Eschatology. It just means the study of of the final things, the study of the end. And that's sort of what we're talking about. How will it all end? Now, before I jump in to what I want to talk about, there are a couple of things I sort of have to talk about, but I wish I didn't have to talk about. Because we're going to talk about what we can know about the end, okay? But before I talk about what we know about the end, which is what I'm excited to talk about, I got to say a couple things about what we don't know know about the end, okay? And I wish I didn't have to say these things, but these things keep cropping up, so we got to just keep reminding ourselves about them so our brains are strong when somebody tries to trick us, okay? Here's the first thing we don't know. We don't know when Christ returns. Jesus says, "...but a doubt that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father." Now, you might think with a scripture that obvious and that clear that we wouldn't even have to talk about it, like we would all just have to have figured out that we don't know when the end is coming and we'd move on to talk about something else. But you'd be surprised at just how often people arise throughout history claiming to know when the end is coming and Christians fall for it every single time. It's crazy. My favorite example, and this is getting to be a little dated now, but my favorite example was there was a guy who published a book entitled 88 Reasons That Jesus Will Return in 1988. And despite the presence of this verse, it sold thousands and hundreds of thousands of copies. Christians bought it across America like hotcakes. And guess what? Jesus didn't come back in 1988. So what this guy did, obviously... Was he apologized and said, I was wrong. I can't believe I misled you all. No, that's not what he did. He published a second book. Guess what it was called? 89 Reasons That Jesus Will Come Back in 1989. And guess what Christians did? We bought it again. Like, I think if he could have thought thought of another reason, he would have published 90 Reasons Jesus Will Come Back in 1990. He just couldn't think of any more reasons. Okay, so the first thing I got to say, and this isn't what I want to preach about, what he's got to, nobody knows. Uh, you remember 2012, there was that radio preacher who said, you know, it's going to be in May, and then it wasn't in May, it's going to be in October. And real people, like nice people, sold houses and quit jobs and to wait for Jesus to return. And we're not the first ones to do this. Paul wrote a letter to the Thessalonians, We'll read a little bit of it in a second, in which he said, be ready. Jesus could return any minute. And then in his second letter to the Thessalonians, he had to write back and say, I didn't mean quit your jobs. Like, that's true. So Christians have been doing this for a long time, okay? So the first thing I got to say before I get to what I want to talk about, what I don't want to talk about, what I have to talk about is this. Nobody knows. And so for the rest of your life, if you ever hear anybody say that they know especially if they're trying to make money off it, they're a false teacher. Don't believe them. We know they don't know. They have proven themselves to be false by the mere fact that they claim to know. Okay, that's thing number one. The the second thing, and this is subtler, but we also got to correct this because this is another thing that a lot of people are out there making money off Christians with this claim all the time. And this one's complicated, but so, so just stick with me here, okay? And the second thing is this. While it is true that we are generally in the last days, Paul says, this is it. Jesus could come back at any time. We are not, the Bible makes clear, particularly in the last days. We've been the same amount in the last days ever since Jesus ascended. He's clear, I could come back at any time, be ready at all times. And the stuff people say when they look around at history and go, oh, look, that's happening and that's happening, this must be the last days. Again, Christians have been doing that for 2,000 years. And they've always been sort of right and sort of wrong. It always has been the last days. It continues to be the last days. Jesus could come back at any minute. But it wasn't especially the last days. And again, Jesus comments on this too in the same chapter, Matthew 24. He says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. Again, so that sounds like, okay, could be any minute, right? And that's what he's saying. It is generally the last days. Understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Okay, so absolutely, it's generally the last days. Jesus could come by at any time. But in the same chapter, he says this, You'll hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. The end is still out there. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of the birth pains. And this metaphor he uses of the beginning of the birth pains, I can't testify to this personally, but, but some of you ladies out there can, that the beginning of the birth pain is some indeterminate period of time away from the actual giving birth to a baby, right? We sometimes call it false labor today when you can start to have birth pain weeks before the baby actually comes. And even if it's true labor, are you going to be in labor for an hour or two hours or six hours or 24 hours, right? That's what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying, yes, it's the last days. I could come back any minute. Be ready. But he's saying, no, you can't look at any event of history, war, nation, kingdom, rising, falling, earthquake, famine. You can't look at some event of history and say, okay, now we better be ready. No, you already should have been ready. And no event of history changes how ready you should be. Does that make sense? And again, people love to make money on this. They love to go on the radio and say, you know, seven reasons this is the last days. Look, that bill just got passed or this just got happened. Now we really are in the last days. No, we've always been in the last days. Jesus is clear about that. Paul is clear about that. Two errors we want to protect ourselves from, right? We want to protect ourselves from a panicked sense of this is it. But we also want to protect ourselves, and this is actually, I think, the more significant error today, of we've heard so many people panic and say the sky is falling, that we've actually given up a sense of expectation. And that's a grave danger too. Jesus is very clear. I will come back, and you won't expect it. If the homeowner had known when he was going to get broken into, he would have been ready. And so therefore, be ready. And so we, we want to live with the sure knowledge that we live in the last days. And Jesus could return at any time, but not because we saw something in the news, but because that has always been true since the moment Jesus left. He says, I'll come back, and you won't know when, so be ready. All right, enough about that, what we can't know or don't know or shouldn't, or shouldn't you know, pretend we know. What do we know? What does the Bible just tell us? about the end what is what will be the end and who will be there at the end but before we talk about that a little bit about football Now, depending on what football teams matter to you, this was a good weekend or a bad weekend. If the volunteers matter to you, um, I heard you won a game, I don't even pay attention, but apparently a good weekend, go Vols, right? But if the Hilltoppers are what matter to you, it was a tough weekend. I don't know if you know this. We had an amazing football game up at Kermit Tipton Stadium uh, Friday night. It was a great game. It was a wonderful game. Decided by one point in double overtime. It was incredible. Thrilling offense, heroic defense, goal line stands, interceptions, fumbles, 90-yard runs. Incredible game. Even some amazing plays by our own FCC family. Way to go. You were awesome. The game had everything you would want a football game to have. Except for its ending. It didn't end the way I wanted it to end. And, you know, the wrong ending can ruin a football game. Have you noticed that? The wrong, wrong ending can ruin a football game. You know, you know if, if a football game has the right ending, then you think back on the fumbles and the interceptions and the bad calls, and you're like, well, that was a tough moment, but we rallied through. If a football game has the wrong ending then you look back even on the the great catches and the great plays and the great calls and you say, well, it was all worthless. Who cares? Didn't matter. This is why as a spectator, just in case you're curious, I only enjoy blowouts. What other people call good games, I hate. I can't stand a game where the, I want it to be, I want a 35 point spread by halftime. That is when, when other people are like, I'm leaving. I'm like, not me, this game just got good. I am relaxed because I know how it ends. I can handle losing. I can handle winning. I just can't handle the stress of wondering. And and I'm the same way with all kinds of things. Because the wrong ending can ruin movies. It can ruin books. It can ruin television shows. I mean, all of you can think of a a television show you love. The first three seasons then that last season, they brought in new writers, didn't understand the characters, ruined the whole thing. And in retrospect, you can't stand any of it now. This is why I, whenever I'm watching a movie, at the first sign of suspense, I pull out my phone and Google how the movie ends. Like at the first sign of suspense, you know? Like if you've got a marriage and they start fighting, and I, I Google, do they get a divorce in the movie? And if they do, I'm like, out. I don't need to watch that. My real life is hard enough. I got no time for this, you know? All my movies, the hero and the heroine end up married at the end. That's the only way I want to watch it because a bad ending can ruin, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what a bad ending can ruin. A bad ending can even ruin leftover Christmas rolls. Uh, this happened to me about, probably three years ago. I don't know, it was the first or second of January. I had nothing to do, and we had about 12 rolls left over from Christmas, and so I decided it was time to take care of these rolls. And so I grabbed this plastic bag full of rolls, and I sat down, and I was watching something on television, and I had a jar of jam and a spoon, and I would just grab a roll and scoop a jar of jam and slop jam the roll, eat and roll. And then I just did it with another one because it was time to take care of these rolls, right? And you're like, you're like thinking, how could a bad ending Ruin that. Well, it was because when I went to grab roll number ten, I kind of felt that it felt a little different, and I finally looked at this bag, and I hadn't been looking; I'd just been, you know, just munching, watching this movie. And I looked at this one, and it was so green and fuzzy. It was like a forest had grown in that week, and there had been twelve of those rolls, and there were only two left. I'm telling you. See, a bad ending can ruin anything can ruin anything. Suddenly those rolls out eaten didn't taste quite so good. See, a bad ending can ruin anything, but the right ending can rescue just about anything. The right ending can rescue just about anything. And that's what I want you to understand about life, is that the right ending can rescue just about anything. The right ending can rescue suffering. The right ending can rescue death. The right ending can rescue failure. The right ending can rescue sin. In sports, you know, when the game is close, everybody fights to the final moment because we just might win. But if we knew we were gonna lose, Well, nobody would keep fighting, right? And and that's that's what we've got today is just this big question for God. How does it end? We want to know how it ends because knowing how it ends is going to change today. Knowing how it ends is going to change how I understand last week. Did my successes matter last week? And more importantly, can my failures be healed? Did my successes matter? And can my failures be healed? And it all depends on how things end. So let me just tell you a couple things. You know, we've said each, each week in this fundamental series that every one of these sermons could be its own series. We could preach six or seven weeks on every one of these sermons. So I just want to tell you a few things you can know about how it ends, okay? First thing you can know is this that Jesus Christ will return. He was there when creation happened. He was there when redemption happened on the cross. And he will be there when things are brought to an end. He promises this to his disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. You believe also in me. Trust in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. This is the promise Jesus makes. Paul picks up this promise in his teaching to the Thessalonians. This is the one, this is the teaching that made a bunch of them go quit their jobs. So don't you go quit your job, okay? It is the last days, but the last days could last however, who knows how long. That's the whole point. So don't go quit your job, but do believe this. Here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul says, if you know how the story ends, you will still grieve. You'll just grieve differently. I like that promise. I like getting to grieve differently. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. with these words. The first thing we know about the end is that Jesus Christ will return. This image here that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians would have been a common image that they would have understood in the first century It's the image of a conquering general who has won a great victory on behalf of their nation or on behalf of their city. And as the general marches back with the armies behind them, they would send messengers ahead to blow the trumpets saying the victory has been won. And the city would empty And they would go out and line the streets waiting for the victorious general to enter. And they would cheer and clap. And as the armies marched by, they would join right in behind the armies and march in and form a parade. March into the city of the city and celebrate with the spoils of their victory. And Paul says that's the way the end starts. When Jesus Returns in victory, and the trumpets announce his coming. It's one thing you can know: is Jesus will come back for his people. Second thing you got to know is that we will be permanently remade by the power of the resurrection. Paul says that in, in, in Colossians. I mean, in in, uh, in Ephesians that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in you? In Corinthians, he puts it this way. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, let me tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will. Who are alive will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with imperishable, the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been closed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will finally be true, that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The second thing you've got to know about the end is that you will be remade. Having been sanctified by Christ, you will be given an immortal body so that you can live eternally the way you were always meant to live. And Paul says, knowing your end changes your present. Right? I love the, I love that the thing he says. Then, therefore, he says, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. How do we know that? Because we know the end. Right. If you lose the game, all the touchdowns you scored, feel like they were for nothing. But if you win the game, then every single one of those mattered. And Paul says, because you know that you will be victorious in Christ, given an immortal body, everything you do for Jesus is not in vain. So much of what we do is wasted, but not what we do for Christ. That is eternally significant. Third thing we can know. We can know that heaven And earth will be restored. This is kind of the major theme of the end of the book of Revelation, but I actually want to take us to the first place we have this prophecy, which is actually in Isaiah 65, just a couple verses of it. Do we know that this is not just something John thought up? This has been the consistent proclamation of the prophets that in the end, God will restore the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 65, look. I'll create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem, take delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. What's God gonna do with the fact that creation is beautiful and broken? He says, well, I'll just make it brand new. Having healed all the brokenness, I'll make it brand new. And all that's left will be beautiful. This is just a little tidbit that I just find so spiritually meaningful. Uh, I I, I ran across this, I don't know, I was in my early 30s. And um, I decided I really wanted to understand hope. And I was just trying, I needed more hope in my life. And so I began to study the Bible and read all these, read the prophecies about the end. And I'll be honest, this is one of the things that just surprised me. I got it in my head that our eternal hope was floating in clouds and playing harps. Like that's what I got in my head. And I thought I got that idea from the Bible. It turns out I didn't. I got it from Looney Tunes. The Bible is super clear. Our eternal hope is not living forever in heaven. Our eternal hope is living forever in a perfectly restored eternal earth. Every description of our permanent home has trees and rivers and mountains and cities and valleys and animals and plants. And I just like that so much better. That's the promise God has for you. You restored in a world that's restored. And then the last thing you got to know is that you restored in the world restored will be with God. And that relationship will be restored. That the reign of God will be eternally established. Again, I love uh, in Revelation it says, in Revelation 20, it says that uh, there'll be no sun in this new world. And you think, oh, that doesn't sound very good. How's that going to work? And it says because God's presence will be so radiant that we won't need the sun anymore. Revelation 11 has this. I love this little verse. Some of you might know the song Handles Messiah. He turned this into a whole song. Revelation 11, verse 15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, and they said, the kingdom of our world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign Forever and ever. Man, that's going to be good news. The kingdom of our world. And we look around at the kingdoms of the world, and God bless them. I got nothing against any politician. I think they're probably all doing their best. They just disagree on what the best is. Most of them seem like decent people to me, just trying hard, even though I don't like a lot of what they do. But doggone it, I can't wait till somebody other than a person is ruling things. I can't wait till it's God. You know, won't that be good? And I just, I just hope we don't get too excited about any human kingdom, any human politician, because they do not have the solution to the brokenness of our world. And we won't be done like it won't be the end until the reign of God is reestablished. And we'll be the citizens we were meant to be in the land we were meant to live in, under the king we were meant to serve, living the life we were made for. And that's what the end looks like. You've heard me say this sentence. I say it all the time. I tell it to myself. I tell it to people. It says, the end of all things is glorious. So on a bad day, look around you. If things aren't glorious, that just means it's not the end that there's more to the story and some of us are in a hard chapter maybe you're in an easy chapter god bless you if you are but maybe you're in a hard chapter i'm just telling you the ending of the story makes every difference i was watching a movie i can't even remember what the movie was wasn't a particular great movie you know and it was a, a, two characters in the movie. They were in a tough spot, you know. And one says to the others, you know, one day this will make a great story. And the other replied, well, only if we make it out alive. And that's it, right? All the, all the good things in life and all the bad things in life, one day they'll make a great story if the ending is worth it and without christ nobody makes it out alive that's it you live a good life or a bad life or a rich life or a poor life a healthy life or a sick life without christ nobody makes it out alive and it was all a waste and the bad things just make life worse and the good things in the end, are meaningless. But in Christ, everyone makes it out alive. Everyone in Christ, for everyone in Christ, the end of all things is glorious, and if things aren't glorious, it's not the end. And church, this is our story. There's more to it, of course. We've left out so much. But the basics are here. The world we live in, creation is beautiful and broken. But God's kingdom comes to earth through the person and work of Jesus, without whom none of this matters. Jesus saves us from sin and death. He empowers us to new life. And you will know when the end has come because he will return in eternal victory. And some lucky fool will be the one who predicted it. But until then, everybody else who predicted is a liar, okay? They don't believe them, they don't know what they're talking about. And more importantly, until then, I get to walk through life without fear. Do you get to do that? I hope you do. I hope you get to walk through life unafraid because you know how the story ends. You could just forgive your enemies even while they're after you because they can't threaten the ending of the story. You could love your neighbor even when they're a jerk to you because they can't change the end of the story. You could face danger. You could endure suffering. You could humbly take criticism because they can't change. The end of the story you could bounce back from disappointment failure sin laziness addiction you could just bounce right back because they can't change the end of the story i will admit this approach does take some of the suspense out of life it does it's sort of like the way i like to watch football games I like to watch a football game, knowing who won, who lost. makes the whole thing more relaxing. And I like to go through life like that, too. It just makes the whole thing more relaxing. Good days are better, and bad days aren't quite as bad, because I know how it ends. God is good. Christ returns. And the end of all things is glorious. And if things aren't glorious, It's not the end. Let me pray for you. God, teach us to live in light of this certain hope. Teach us to trust you. Teach us the clarity, God, that this knowledge of the ending has impact this afternoon, impact tomorrow. Every day is changed because we know the ending. And then teach us to live in light of that truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.